Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Charlie, I was speaking to one of our listeners during the week, and they said, Grant, if you spent as much time on the content of the podcast that you cover, that you do on the intros, podcast might be better. You know what I said to them? Yes. I said, thanks for the feedback, mum. Have you subscribed to the newsletter yet? And she said, no. And I said, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email and you'll be subscribed and then you might actually be able to listen to the content, mum. And then you know what I told her? Cue the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing. And I need to let you know that Grant, myself and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant, I am actually concerned the intro is better than the show now. (laughs) Yep. Like when we first started making this podcast, mostly people would reach out to me and, you know, talk about the content of the episode. They'd be like, oh, you know, we liked this topic or how about this? Now it's just referencing the intro, intro pretty much. It? Like it's just shifted over time. It's it's an intro with a little bit of conversation tacked on the end. Absolutely. Anyhow, getting to the content of today's show, I'm going to bring up a uh, little bit of a dirty word. Are you ready for it? I like it. If I said a three-letter word that's a little bit dirty, what comes to mind? <gasps> Things that I shan't mention on this. You ready? ready? Mud. M-U-D. Tax. It's even worse. (laughs) It's even worse. I feel like this is such a misunderstood topic by many. And I look at this and go, for a lot of business owners out there, and maybe I'll just describe my own journey here, is that when you first start in business and you're not really making much money, it's you're not paying a lot of tax. You maybe you're on a lower tax bracket. You're looking at uh, this and you, you don't really pay attention to it. And as you pay, uh, work your way through the progression of being a business owner, you start to pay more and more and you start to realize the importance of tax strategy and just what a difference the right or wrong advice can make. Not financial advice. We are not accountants. We'll get not that in again. But also just that there is a whole different game to be played with tax. And if left unchecked, you can actually lose out massively. And I'll use a quick example here is that if you are to selectively uh, put money into super, it's not only is that a tax advantage in business, but it's also a tax advantaged environment to grow wealth, potentially not financial wealth advice again, versus if you did the same thing with after-tax dollars and then also invested outside of super. So you can end up literally in that scenario investing in the same thing, right? You could literally have the same – the exact same financial asset, but due to the nature of how you've gone about investing in it, how you've set about in structures, and how you've approached tax in general, very different end result. Fundamentally. Very, very different end result. So I'm glad I got that glad I got that one out of the way and a bit of a frame up. I also know someone, which I'll throw in here, who's considered moving to Dubai multiple times just because they get so outraged at how much tax we pay in Australia. I like throwing stones and never looking at myself, and I have never looked at offshore companies, Charlie, and I have never registered two companies wait. in two different countries offshore. Wait, wait, wait. Do you have a Hong Kong company? <laughs> no, I almost had a Hong Kong company. I had a Singapore company and a company in another country. 
Have you found, and let's go straight into this one. I, I know people that have some quite complex structures. Ditto. And I know you do too, right? We've got friends that do have Hong Kong companies. They've got offshore things happening, Canary Island stuff. Yep. Bit of double Irish game here and there. And anyone who knows what these things are will be laughing right now. And for anyone that doesn't, please go and do some Googling on the things and measures people have gone not to pay tax. Portugal Gold Visa is one of the best ones that I've seen. It's fantastic. There's a ton of them out there. Heaps. But at the end of the day, in a lot of cases, the, the thing that comes to mind is that what's happened is they haven't worked out how to play the Australian tax system. Dude, I've had so many friends in the last 12 months talk to me about, well, I've got to come back. <laughs> oh, enjoy bringing assets back into the country. Totally. Totally. Um, but then the other side of it is actually managing these complex structures and the costs that go with them. And I'll, again, use a little example here. You might think you're being clever in setting up some offshore thing here and you set up a company and at the time it makes financial sense but as policy changes over time they can actually end up being more expensive to run than if you paid tax in australia entirely for example or even the time suck that you had to invest into finding uh good tax advice across all these different countries plus legal advice across all these different countries and it's like for the lack of a headache you just don't even worry about doing the thing and just run the business and make it highly profitable so that yeah, you don't need to jump through hoops. I love the story of Mr. Money Mustache. And if you don't know who Mr. Money Mustache is, please look him up. He's one of the uh, pioneers of financial independence. Um, and this is a guy that he retired at 34 or 34, 5. And uh, his strategy was to basically live frugally and put money in the S&P 500. And uh, people would come to him like, he's already retired at this point and go, well, why didn't you do this and why didn't you do that? And he's just like, I'm like, I'm retired. It was simple. <laughs> it was over. Like, who cares? Like, could I have done it in a more optimised way? Sure. Potentially. But I think they lost out on the point in many, many reasons here. Don't you love humans where they do? We just always try to like overcomplicate it as if there's like this silver bullet. There's a right way and a wrong way. Like there's only one way to do things, Charlie. Completely. So we're... I want to dig into a question here for you. What's your journey and relationship been with the tax system in Australia? Like, how do you approach it? Are you much like myself where pretend it doesn't exist in the beginning and then as you start making money go, oh, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, got to work this out? Or how have you gone about it? That was it. You know, um, what is it? What's the bird that buries their head in the sand? The ostrich? Like when it just doesn't want to look at something, it just buries his head. That was me. So it's like, yeah, what am I going to do? What? tax returns and stuff like that. I'm like, I haven't earned enough money to actually justify these things. Ah, psh, it's completely fine. And then like, <laughs> if you looked in zero at the time, the, what is it? The director's drawings just kept going up. <laughs> and then I got to a point where we started making money and I'm like, ah, I should probably go and try and like figure this thing out. So then I talked to an accountant and it wasn't a, hey, let's go and do like this year's financial tax return. It was like, let's go and do like the last three years. <laughs> And then he's like asking me, yeah. And then he was asking me this question. I'm like, I just got no idea. And so, funnily enough, I actually celebrated when the seven years passed because in Australia, like after seven years has lapsed, like they can't go and like look back at those financial statements. Do you know what? I'm not sure we should make those claims. I don't think we can give legal well, advice either. That's what I believe. Potentially, <laughs> potentially. And so I had like this little party popper moment. I'm like, because I'm like, if you ask me questions, I got no idea. <laughs> Like, it's got no understanding of what happened in the first couple of years of me running my business. So I'm like, whew, those years have passed me now. I actually understand what's going on. We, I suspect you are very similar. All right. So we'll go a bit more in depth here. I think initially, and 
this is one of those things when I first got into business, one of the first things I actually did because Bianca, my partner, was an accountant is I went and spoke to an accountant. Hack. Now, the challenge with that is I didn't have a lot of experience with accountants nor an ability to gauge if they were good or poor at what they did. Now, even though Bianca was an accountant, she wasn't necessarily a small business or tax accountant. She had worked in big corporations as treasurers and doing more, I'll say, advanced things where they didn't necessarily spend time here. So she worked in some pretty serious organizations doing like CFO stuff and all the rest of it. Anyway, so the first accountant I went and spoke to, when you have those initial conversations and they're talking about structures, they were talking about, you know, you can be a sole trader for now and then you're going to want to be in a company and then it's all about uh, until you get to this point, which I think was about a certain tax threshold where it becomes more efficient to, you know, have other things, whether it's trusts or set up PAYGs and all of that. And I was like, that's cool. Right. But what I didn't realize is that this accountant was very much looking through my situation through their own bias. They were setting it up based on their goals and preferences, not mine. But it's their system and checklist that sit behind it. It's like everybody fits into this bucket. Tick the box. Yeah. So that was a, a huge mistake, number one. If I could if I could go back in time and revisit that conversation now with the questions I know to answer and what I'm trying to do, it could have been way more impactful and helpful. So uh when I really look at my uh, situation with tax and my journey to understanding this system, that's where I think a lot of us end up and some of us stay for a long time where we don't really question the advice we're getting. And even if it's good advice, is it good advice for my situation and what I'm trying to achieve? The second thing is I went and saw this account in August. See a problem with that at all? Uh, not at all. Well, you you must work on some other financial system where they don't close out the financial year on the 30th of June. <laughs> yeah, not going to lie. I didn't appreciate what end of financial year was in Australia either. Didn't really get it. Wait, you just thought it was a time where you got like cheaper goods? <laughs> it's like everyone's got sales on now. This is great. Well, you know, it's like Easter sales. <laughs> Someone made it up. <laughs> it's like Santa. <laughs> Cyber Monday. Like it's a new thing. Like it's just completely out of the... I dig it. Yeah, again, not taking it too seriously, I looked at that and go, well, if you're going to have impactful relationships with your accountant and do things properly, you really want to be speaking to them in potentially like end of first quarter every year. So as what March finishes and you head into April and May, you really want to be having conversations with your accountant then. So if there are tweaks you want to make or purchases you want to make or things you want to do to work with your advisors on your personal tax strategy – there's still time to actually make moves. And uh, I look at that and go, that was probably a really big mistake I made is just not appreciating what you can do in that scenario. And uh, can I use an example just to kind of uh, go through a few here? No, you can't. Well, um, no, of course you can. So something I do at the end of Q1 uh, every year now is we actually get a tax estimate. So we go, hey, look, we've been through three quarters of the year based on what's happened so far. What is our tax estimate? And then we look at that and make sure we've got appropriate money set aside for tax so that we can be um, not surprised when June 30 rolls around. We can go into the surprises I've had in the earlier years at another point, Grant. Um, yeah, so I think it's a really good starting point. If you've got a great relationship with the accountant, get a check in place. And if you haven't put enough aside for tax, you have got a whole quarter to you know save into that to be more appropriated. Or if you've put too much aside for tax, you might actually go, do you know what? I'm going to more aggressively reinvest in my business or move money into investments or something like that, which I've actually had happen as well. Like I had some 
uh, I put too much aside for tax for whatever reason across the year. And then it ended up being that I was not in that position. So all good. You can actually you know, change that from there. The other thing I'll really look at is there's going to be years where you want to pay more tax because maybe you want borrowing power. And there's going to be years where you're going to want to look broke, absolutely broke, and you're going to want to pay less tax. So um, I mentioned the story, but there was a, a year where I basically Bianca and I elected that we wanted to buy like 10 properties in a year. So we wanted to go and uh, go to the banks and say, lend us a lot of money. And then their first question is, cool, show me you can service a lot of money. Show me your payslips. <laughs> yeah, so you have to go to them and say, this is how profitable I am. Yep. So the mistake that can be made, and I know people that have done this, right, is like you're in a situation where you've got a profitable company and then you go to your accountant and say, look, how can we pay less tax? He's like, buy a car, get some equipment. Let's, you know, let's do some of these financial engineering things to bring your tax down. But then when you go to the bank and go to borrowing, they're going to be like, you make no money. Yeah. So you can massively impact things. And again, just to dive into a deeper point here, I think your accountant being aware of the moves you're trying to make and the things you're trying to do so they can give appropriate advice is the role of the business owner. Totally. It's funny. Like you're, Are you on? Don't go for it. Yeah, it was, it was funny you mentioned that. Literally on Friday, which was what, a couple of days ago, um, I spoke to my mortgage broker about, because I want to just accumulate, 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 and like with the one preface that I just don't want to kill my borrowing capacity because that's going to demolish it. And he's like, great. All you need to do is just make sure that you're distributing as much cash to yourselves from the business as possible. Um, and that I'm like, okay, cool. So that means like minimize, my, for my personal scenario, minimize superannuation contributions to whatever is necessary, uh, other, any other expenses, et cetera, just reduce it down. And now I'm having a conversation with the accountant around, okay, so this is the minimum I need to sit at in order for me to achieve my goals for an accumulator for next year. Uh, and this is what I need to try and achieve. And here's how I'm thinking about doing it. What am I missing? Like, how could I actually improve on top of this? Huge. So, I mean, we're both obviously into property, which is a, a lot of how this weighs out, but this can be in other areas as well. But to what you're talking about, I just uh, this is not financial advice. It's just suggestions that you should speak to your accountant about and your team. Totally. But the amount you should consider paying yourself as a salary versus paying yourself as a dividend makes a massive difference to the amount of free cash flow you will have because you may want to leave a property deposit. Or in my case, you might want to jack your super up. Yep. Like I'm intentionally uh, doing that because I want to take advantage of some other uh, tax things that are appropriate for my situation. Do you like my selective language? I was going to say, I'm like, you're very, very picky on these things. Well, when you run a finance podcast for a number of years, you get better at saying, hey, I'm kind of doing this thing. It's working for me, but I don't recommend it for you and you should speak to people who actually know your situation and can give you proper advice, but maybe reference this so that they can look into it for you. Because I got no idea. You also know. I could be wrong as well, right? I'm not saying that I'm right. <laughs> totally. And so I, I, I find this time of the year, like you're around your maze, the perfect time to talk to the people around you. of like, what are you trying to achieve? Because if I just spoke to my accountant around, like this is what I want to try and achieve over the next financial year of buying more investment properties, he might not understand the implications of my borrowing capacity, how much I need for borrowing capacity, all these kind of things. So it's making sure I've got all the information for all the parties so that they know exactly what we're going to try and do over the next 12 months. Yes. Can you use an example of that? Take, take it further though, because like, let's give some ideas. Like You've mentioned the accumulator, but there's 
other ones as well that I think are really important to consider. And if you can't think of an example, I've got one. Definitely. Uh, I'll give you one here. If you're someone who is getting to this time of year and you realize that you're in a very high taxable position, like your tax, you're like, wow, I am over all the brackets. It's going to be a really expensive tax year. And potentially you're not trying to go for borrowing. This might be a time to make purchases. Mm. Yep. So if you're due for a car upgrade, even if it's a little bit early, you may want to get it in this year to appropriate the tax situation. If you haven't contributed to the max of your super and you want to take advantage of uh, pre-tax dollars into super or you want to uh, take advantage of like catch-up contributions, that can be a really powerful strategy as well. Not financial advice, work that shit out. If you're in the property space and um, – Grant, you know, we mentioned negative gearing a few times, which I won't even touch. But one of the interesting things with property is that if you've got significant renovations you actually want to do, you could actually do that to drive down the profitability of one of your properties to appropriate your tax there, potentially, right? Or equipment, if you've got equipment upgrades you want to do. So these are very much tax minimization strategies that might be appropriate for a year when you don't know what's coming up in the fun- in the next year. Totally. And I, I've done things like bringing forwards like insurance payments and stuff like that. So I just go and like renew the next 12 months and just try and make it land on this side of the financial year uh, or any other services, try and like prepay a 12-month contract up front if I've got cash sort of quite liquid. Like I'll just do anything that I can depending on where I'm at at this point in time. But I do have a question for you though. Have you ever got to this time of the year and gone, okay, there are some assets that have been a bit lazy or they haven't returned what I was thinking that they might return, or they might have gone down and you don't want them in your portfolio anymore. Um, property, shares, otherwise, it's not financial advice. Have you ever assessed that to actually do some tax loss harvesting where you actually sell it and take the loss against your tax? Well, let's go there. Let's get some advanced shit now. I like it. <laughs> can, can I just you know do the thing you should never do on a podcast in general? Can I ask you a question instead of answering your question, then answer your question? I feel as though I've given you that strategy. <laughs> I watch you dodge. You'd be like, oh, you like Neo in the Matrix sometimes. I'm like, ooh, doesn't like that one. Take your question and I'll answer that with another hypothetical. Are you surprised by how manipulable the tax system is? Yes. Uh, hang on. Knee jerk, yes. When I understand the people who designed the tax system, no. Interesting. I, I'm still to this day uh, surprised for it. There is a book. I'll, re- I'll look it up later in the episode, but there's a book I would recommend every business owner reads. It was written by the guy who was Kerry Packer's accountant. Um, and he does an update of the book every year with the new rules and things that are in it. But when I read this book, I was absolutely blown away with how just what a difference certain decisions can make to the amount of tax you pay. Isn't it funny? And Kerry Parker is obviously famous for he didn't pay tax. <laughs> and everyone's like, how is this guy uh, not paying tax? And then you realize how much he spent not to pay tax. Questionable if it was worth it to that degree. But we'll, we'll come we'll come back to that. I still think it's an impeccable story. And to hear it from the perspective of his accountant and what he did, yep. really good book for understanding the tax system. We'll grab a link and reference the title when I can think of it at another point. Anyway, uh, coming back to your uh, question here about tax loss harvesting, yes, I have actually partaken in that. So for anyone who doesn't understand tax loss harvesting, pretend you've got uh, two assets. They're going to be two houses in this example. Love it. Yeah, you've got a property that's made 100 grand, so you bought it for a mil and now it's worth 1.1. And then you've got another property that um, you uh, bought for a mil but now it's worth 900 grand. Now, if you were to uh, sell them, 
you had to pay no tax because the gain is offset by the loss. Totally. Right? So, uh, and Charlie, the question becomes, is like, why would you do that? Because it's an ability to neutral out some tax. So if he, in an example, and I'm not naming people here, but if you got a bit speculative in a crypto run <laughs> last year. I think deep, Not naming anyone. Deep, deep. Oh. <laughs> is it, we might need to take a moment to check if you can get up off the floor here. That's right. Oh, my shrine. Yep, go. <laughs> if you potentially lost some money in some very speculative crypto investments, not naming people again, and let's say you did that, is that you could have sold that to then create a loss so that when you were to sell a different asset, you could offset it in another way. So I don't think anyone should go out there and intentionally buy things to do tax loss harvesting. But if you end up in a situation where you've got some investments that you could potentially sell in certain financial years to offset gains on other things that have gone well, very powerful strategy. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's funny, I I still have some some shares that I bought that like tanked. Like, and I bought these things like a decade ago and I still like refuse to sell them even though I get like some kind of tax loss harvesting because I feel like the benefit of me seeing how much they've dropped is a stark reminder of like what not to do in investing. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know this, but you can actually carry forward. Yeah, 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 so, no. Yeah, yeah. so if you even if you were to sell them in this financial year and let's say create a $100,000 loss, if you sold a property a few years later, you could then use it. You just have to crystallize the loss, which is the thing. You actually have to go through the transaction is the the thing you would need to look at there. I find that's interesting. Uh, when I talk to friends out of the States, the United States, like this is so common and so openly spoken about. Like it is like, okay, cool, you're doing tax. Like are you have you thought about your tax loss harvesting? How does this play in? But it just doesn't seem to be as much of a topic in Australia. Like I'd, I just don't see a lot of people – thinking through assets that way of saying like, this is a way to sort of clean the slate, look at next year and see what better opportunities there are to run. Is there like some kind of psychology in Australia or is it just not as strong? Like I know you and I talk about it, but yeah. yeah. I'm going to make uh, the suggestion here that the tax game for someone who is employed in a PAYG is very different than someone who's in a business. Incomparable. Yeah. So, when the majority of a population is PAYG, like we see here, and there is a smaller business community and the free flow of information in the Australian community isn't as strong, there's just so many limited people that know about it that it kind of doesn't get spoken about. Yeah, that's a fair so, observation. That is fair. Well, Grant, how were we the first podcast in Australia really combining business owners and investing? <laughs> yeah, to which I have no idea how. We, lo- we looked for this information and we couldn't find it. Yeah. And then you think about how much research have you and I done into these topics? Yeah. Like I'll never forget the day I, we went to that cafe and I showed you my first potential investment property and I was like, you know what I mean? Like for us to go from that journey many years ago when we were thinking about these things and really knew nothing to the hours and hours of research, the people we have paid for advice, the teams we have looked at, the people in other journeys we've come to look and understand – I'm like, it wasn't easy to find. No. So if no one's out there talking about this stuff or providing this information, where do you get it? And then to make matters worse, the whole ASIC thing in Australia. Like everyone's a bit cagey on what to say because they're concerned on, well, if you do something dumb, not financial advice, um, and go out and make a shit decision, you can come after me or ASIC can come after me. So I think there's this interesting dynamic that's kind of laid up here where not a lot of people doing it. 
not a lot of people talking about it. The people who do know the things don't want to talk about it publicly because there's chances of repercussions for them. Yep. So there's a bit of like, <sighs> isn't that? Yeah, I'll get off my soapbox in one second. But this is it is just sad. It's uh, these conversations should just be had and people be able to share their experience. But yeah, so interesting. I um I've looked at tax loss harvesting more so, and I think it's. You know, I, I think the process of actually stopping and reviewing your assets to see which ones are doing well and not doing well, because even to the point that, like, it's not that the asset is lost a whole, in your example of a million down to 900000 like, it's not that, hey, I want to try and get a $100,000 tax offset. It's more the assessment of the asset itself. Like, do I still think that this is a good asset over the coming years? And it's just that question of being able to give yourself permission to ask it and go, oh, maybe it's not. I could actually deploy that $900,000 capital elsewhere and I'd get a better asset. Like that is actually the better question than going, how do I like use this $100,000 to do Well, that's the magic and- thing, right? Do yeah. you really care if an asset's gone down in this example, 100 grand, but your expectation is over the next 10 years, it's, it's going to be triple? Exactly. And I think that's the permission to ask that question across every single asset where it is not a horrific thing if you sell it down because there is some kind of tax benefit to it. I think that's the key. Preaching over. I also look at it as an efficient way to sell assets. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. So if you've ended up in a situation where maybe you got excited and you bought in a mining town and, um, you know, you got suckered into some narrative. But people, like, the reality is even the best investors in the world make bad investments. Totally. Totally. Right? They think things are going to go a certain way and then environments change or things happen and your ability to get out of those investments while you would not necessarily be for it can can be really powerful here. Yep. And I will, I will reference this is more typically done with people that are into like shares and stocks. Right? Right. It's very common in those more worlds and assets. it's a lot easier to transact. Yep. Again, I'm not picking shares or saying that's a pathway, but we look at it in that way. Yeah, I am. Um- I like that. Is there anything else that like you kind of look at leading into the end of the financial year or talking to your accountant? Do you know what? I really should include an asset review, which you've just mentioned here. That's not something I've done. But I think in my own bias, I've always really – when I make an investment, I'm viewing it as like this is 10 years plus. Mm. So I'm not necessarily reviewing things as gradually. But I must admit, last night I was actually uh, – I was watching uh, the Remit SETI – how to get rich to get Netflix rich. thing. Dude, uh, I was watching man, that man. and I was going through my yeah. properties and putting them through on desktop valuations to see how things are, are doing. So I kind of did a mini review did last just, night did, just by chance. Dude, we did the exact same thing. I did that like a week and a half ago and I was just sitting there watching it with Hazel and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just throwing in all the addresses just to see where they're at. <laughs> Twinning. That is awesome. One of the... Uh, it's interesting. One of the things that I do as well is I go and have a look at like government grants and like tax benefits. Like if there's any like schemes out there. Um, like I even spoke to a friend of mine on the, the way you said scheme then. Schemes. Yeah. It's all about the schemes. No, but um, it's your attitude toward it. It's like you're looking for a loophole to exploit. <laughs> no, it's, it's more just like, because I don't, and we know that the Australian government came out with that electricity thing for 250 bucks, fill out the form and they'll, they'll give you the $250 thing. Solar panels. Completely. I got an amazing deal on solar panels. It was a huge incentive. I like a massive one that did well. Is it EMDG or I think it might the be export, called? The export grant. Is that yep, the, that yep. one. 
Yeah, so you've got R&D grants, you've got export grants. Uh, there was actually a grant that uh, lay, uh, Liberals put in that the Labor's removing at the end of this year around technology and businesses investing in technology with a 120% rebate or something. There are these things that just exist to try and drive some kind of innovation or change that the government's looking for that unless you ask your accountant or actually have a look at, you don't actually know, you don't actually know about and so in the SaaS world, like we heavily rely on R&D grants to get like quite a bit back on the investments that we make on it. Hold on a second. Does that mean you've picked such a crappy business model that you require government subsidies to get it off the ground? I mean, sure, it, why not? It, it might help you raise some money, Charlie. <laughs> yes. um, but then you also have export grants. So obviously like when you go and employ people overseas to expand overseas, like they have an incentive to actually reimburse you for some of that money and all these things. Like just your – or normal business activities can actually have a benefit from it. We could bring this into a bit of a list here, and I feel like we should. So no, number one, let's go through this here, is like the time to get ready for tax is Q2 of um, – Dead set. Yeah. The transition from – yeah, yeah, Q2. Yeah. yeah. Number two is you want to be getting a tax estimate from your accountant and then also updating them on your your plans. Like Be the proactive one in the relationship. Don't expect your accountant to come to you and mind read what you're getting up to. And if you're unsure um, of what to do, maybe ask your accountants. Like for people like me, what are they doing? Yep. All right, I think that's a really good question to ask your accountant to get some understanding of what other people they're working with would be doing there. If you're in the property space, I think it's appropriate to talk about if you have borrowing needs or if you're planning to buy other properties, I think it's a really huge thing. Your asset review is a, a fantastic inclusion here or potentially some tax lost harvesting or looking at things in there. Is there a, uh, should we include looking up grants and research and development stuff? Yeah, and even the like you can almost bucket that together with like the uh, also like the buying of potential goods, services, or pre-purchasing things, etc. Um, Do you just think that's a straight up no? If you're in a year where you're trying to uh, minimize your tax or pay more tax based on what you're trying to do through strategy, to completely, completely, yeah, always have to align it to the exact goal that you're going for. Um, one of one of the other things that I do, and I don't know, maybe this is just the meticulous grant that kicks in. So I look through all of the financials every single year and I make sure that the grouping is designed perfect for the next year as well, depending on what I'm trying to achieve. And when I say like the grouping, like you're talking about your chart of accounts, right? Like the, where the expenses are going, where the income's coming from, et cetera. Because I might have had a service that I don't offer anymore or I might have expenses that were split out that I just want to group back in together. So this is like a bookkeeping cleanup. Totally. But I actually use my accountant to get advice on where I'm trying to get to and what they would look at so that when I sit down with my accountant throughout the next financial year, it's good. And then the, the book Easy for them to read as exactly. well. And so it gives us the feedback so that when we're assessing things, we know where we're going. And then I feed that back to the bookkeeper. I say, hey, this is where we're trying to go. This is what we're thinking about changing. This is what the accountant also thinks. Can you change it? And what else should we do? And so I actually use this as like a bit of an audit and a cleanup in order for me to step into the next year. Have you ever been to a florist on Valentine's Day? Yes. <laughs> Have you seen the carnage and chaos? I've worked in a florist on, on Valentine's Day twice. Do you know what? I actually think you could do that as a career path. <laughs> I, did I make bouquets, man? I'm good at this. Tell okay, you. Have you ever been to a fish and chip shop on Good Friday? I bought from a fish and chip shop on a Good Friday. <laughs> it's carnage, right? It's amazing. Mm. And we've just gone through it and I went and had a look and I, I you'd swear it was like a, the, the best nightclub in a city and like some famous person is there. The line was that far out the door. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, the, the the reason I say that is I think a lot of business owners negate the idea that basically for accountants is once due, from basically the start of June until maybe the end of August is their lives suck. I was I was at a baptism for the weekend and I got up with a mate of mine who's a partner at like PwC. Dude, it's not even June yet. He's eye bags and he's an auditor. He's like already, already up to his nose. I'm like, dude, are you burning the midnight oil? He's like. Do not ask, man. Tax season's coming up and we're just trying to get ahead of everything. And I'm like, this is just going to be brutal. Well, this is why I bring it up because I think it's appropriate to um, get in early with your accountant and uh, make sure you set things up to be in a way you would like. Because there's been years where I have actually like missed deadlines, not been able to get tax returns done appropriately. Like it's cost me money and time because – I didn't think, you know, hey, this is going to be like going to the florist on Valentine's Day. Totally. I've had I think I've had yeah, go for it. Yeah, I've had accountants like delay things. I mean, they're like, oh, cool, we're gonna close this out, but just give us like three weeks because we're like jam-packed. And I'm sitting there emailing, like, how do I become like more important to like do I need to pay more? Like what how do I just get moved to the front of the line? Like where's the VIP guest list on this thing? Um, and that's not a position you want to play at. So getting in early and being that person, that guy or gal, I think that's an easier strategy than waiting at the line trying to get in. I know I'm the just la- I'm just laughing, right? It's like, do you think this is why? So I literally had a property settling at the end of June. No, sorry, end of July, July. And I thought it would be fine and no problem to get all my accounts done in the like right away. So that would need to be done by like the 15th of July. It's brutal, dude. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this won't be a problem. You know, the books will be up to date. We'll be fine. No, terrible <laughs> idea. Will you sit there reconciling your own books? <laughs> I think I learned a lot from that experience. I absolutely learned a lot from that experience. Totally. Um, you know, one thing that I've been doing, uh, and this is more in the, like the SaaS space, was um, obviously there is a two different ways to run your books in Australia. You've got your cash accounting and your accrual accounting, right? And one thing for accrual accounting is at the end of the financial years, it's actually writing off invoices you've created and paid tax on <laughs> that you're actually not going to get, aka bad debt right so it's like here's an invoice for 12 months of service they never paid it you paid the gst on it and then you get to the end of the financial year you're like yeah no they're never going to pay for that we're going to cancel that write it off and then actually reconcile the whole thing so like i do a full cleanup of not just the chart of accounts not just like what people owe me not just what i owe other people like everything it's almost like how do i get this thing to a clean polished slate I just don't want to keep building on top of sand as I step into the next year. And you even opened another can of worms here in like, are you on the right accounting system for your situation? Deliberately. Yeah. I I would wholeheartedly consider this is a time to be reviewing that as well. And and as we've gone deeper into this episode, it has reminded me that there are complexities to the tax system as well. So good advice is so appropriated here, but that's an important one in itself. Totally. I am. I'm I'm trying not to like just list off all of these things. I'm trying to just use it as a way to both remind myself, Charlie. <laughs> as I, I, went like, I was like, oh shit, I haven't done some of these things yet either. So, but then also like step in and, and remind the other one. Um, the other things around like we touched on like investments and properties and stuff like depreciation and all those kind of fun things. Like, there's heaps to it, heaps. I'm just quickly looking up this book on tax because I think it was a really uh, yeah, here it is. I'm just going to put this one in. Tax Secrets of the Rich. 
Yeah. Uh, and it is written by Alan Mason. Um, it was on Amazon. He's just updated it. I can see the 23-24 one is here. Fantastic read and resource uh, I would highly recommend for all business owners just to expose themselves to different ideas on how things can be done to minimize their tax so they potentially don't have to move to places like Dubai or set up offshore companies. Although I will reference for some people, and depending on what they do as a business, it may be appropriate for them to set up a business overseas or do other strategies, but very rare. That was a good catch-all statement. Wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you are like my mum and you like my intros and love me dearly, head over to businessinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email, and I'd appreciate it. Charlie, I think you'd appreciate it too. We'll notify you every single time we drop one of these episodes. I just want to say thank you very much to yourself, Charlie. And thank Can I add one more thing? All right. This episode's probably going to come out in May, I dare say, as we're recording it. Um, book in with your accountant. Get it done. Talk to your team. And if you don't, go on our website. We've got our team all listed out and you can find the people we use for such activities. Uh, is it under business and investing slash partners? You've Name been it. to the website before. Here we go. Well done. Well played. But do uh, it. This is the wake up call. Amen. We'll catch you on the next episode of Business and Investing.